that you would do a, a work in our lives, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. All right. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, as we continue in our study through the book of Luke. In today's study, we get to see Jesus now in full ministry mode where he's now in his public ministry. We witnessed through the text as Jesus was first called and then anointed and baptized by John the Baptist. And then we saw him get called out by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. And though he was tempted, Yet he was without sin. And then we witnessed right after that wilderness experience that Jesus began his public ministry. You see, the Lord was doing a work in Jesus because he was 100% human. And there was a process. We learned about how when Jesus was a little kid, he didn't come out of his mother's womb and start parting the the bath waters. But he was a human, 100%. But he was also God, 100%. And we witnessed how he was trained. And he grew in the wisdom of the Lord. And the wisdom that he had would amaze even the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the temple. Because Jesus was bringing a new era of grace into the lives of the Israelites and into the whole world. And he was right now about to flip the entire religious system upside down. You see, the Pharisees had turned ministry into a a method on which they might relate to the Lord. They turned the temple worship and ministry into the means of their status. And Jesus was coming to reveal to men and women that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That he was going to be the bridge between God and man was Jesus himself. So now that Jesus is calling his disciples to himself. This is where we pick up in the story. This is the beginning still of Jesus' ministry, the early days. In Luke's gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them And we're washing their nets. See, Jesus now in his public ministry, we learned about how he was spreading the gospel everywhere he went. Jesus had a threefold ministry. If you are taking notes this morning, 
It is noteworthy to mention that Jesus' ministry was comprised of three main things. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Preaching was for the non-believer so that they could come to know the grace of God, salvation. Teaching for the building up of the believer. And healing for those who were sick. And not just physically, spiritually also. And everywhere he traveled, it seemed that crowds began to just multiply around him. And they would begin to hear of Jesus' ministry and they would just run to him. But it says in verse 1 that they pressed about him. Literally so hard for him to move around because they were just surrounding him. But the reason was to hear the word of God. They desired and they had a hunger for solid teaching. A teaching that Jesus had with authority as he taught. They were missing this in their life. And as Jesus is being surrounded by all these people and he's, he's trying to give them the word and he notices there's two fishing boats out there by Lake Gennesaret. Now Lake Gennesaret is the same as the Sea of Galilee. What's interesting about the Jewish people is that whatever they titled, whether it be a lake or a sea or a mountain, they always titled it bigger than what it really is. So the Sea of Galilee is actually just a lake. They would call the, the Mount of Olives is just really a big hill if you go there and visit today. And so the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, Jesus looks out and he notices there's two fishing boats and they're not being used. But instead, the nets were out of the water for cleaning. It says in verse 3, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. See, as Jesus taught, because there was little space for him on the land, he saw this as an opportunity that the fishing boats could be used as a platform that he could teach on. Now notice Jesus was sitting when he taught, as was custom back then, that the teacher used to sit and the students would stand. I don't know how we got things backwards today. I have a professor and a pastor, Jesse Barella, who told us the story of that when he went to teach in Africa during a missions trip, as he was teaching the African students, he started to notice some of them, as he was teaching, would just stand up in the middle of his teaching and he'd be like, oh, he was kind of taken back by it. And later, one of his guides told him because he asked he said hey why are the students just standing up randomly in class and his guy told him oh well they have such a respect for the teachers here that when they begin to become tired they stand up out of respect for the teacher so stand up right now no, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding <laughs> but that was the type of attitude that students had towards their teachers. Now you will find throughout scripture that Jesus's favorite topic of teaching was the kingdom of heaven. You'll constantly find 
Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And he'll go to describe a parable of some sort. Many times, and it's an awesome study to look at for yourself, to look at the eternal home that the Lord has for his people and to follow after its model. Jesus' teaching, preaching, and healing, it was a witness to the word of God. Look at verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, launch out, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You see, Jesus here, he goes to Peter, called Simon. And he's already gone to Peter previously. He's telling Peter, look, go get your, your fishing nets. We're going to go fishing again, Peter. And Peter, if you remember in John chapter 1, Peter and Andrew had already been called by Jesus before. In John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. But it seems that twice Jesus had told his disciples that they would be fishers of men. The first time is recorded in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. And here is the second time now in Luke chapter 5. It's possible that this is the same event, just with more details, but it seems unlikely. Now, if they had already left their nets, you wonder what it was that they were doing with them here again. Why did they go back to their fishing nets after Jesus had already called them? Now, later in Peter's life, after Jesus is resurrected, remember Peter, he leaves ministry because he is just so in shame for denying his Lord Jesus. And you guys recall that account when Jesus, he appears on the shore and he calls out to Peter and John and he says, hey, have you caught any fish? And they, they said, no, we haven't caught anything. So he says, well, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. So they do so. And suddenly swarms of fish come into their nets. And John tells Peter, he says, it's the Lord. And Peter just out of love, just takes off, dives, and swims as fast as he can to Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus is there making some fish tacos. And then he calls Peter to the side, and they're having this deep conversation, just the two of them. And he asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And perhaps he was pointing to his disciples, when he asked him that question, or perhaps he was even pointing to the fishing nets and the fish. You see, Peter being a fisherman, he loved his work. He was good at it. And he asked him, Peter, do you love me more than this? And then he said, follow me, feed my sheep. Now here in Luke, he again returned to the love of his trade. Yet their attempts are unsuccessful. They're not catching any fish. 
So Jesus tells them to launch out into the deep. Perhaps this morning Jesus is telling you to launch out into the deep. Perhaps he's telling you today, do you love me more than these? Whatever that these are in your life. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. You see, out of faith, they listened to their master. And I see that this step of faith, it reminds me that you cannot outgive God. They took that step of faith and went back out after they hadn't caught anything. And God brought all the fish to them. I remember going to Mammoth for the first time with my brother-in-law Howard here today. And I've had been to Mammoth at least 10 times before then and caught some fish in Mammoth. And then one day we go out with Mammoth, uh, with Howard, the first the first day ever to go fishing. And we cast our, our lines out and it was like one fish bite, two fish bite, three, four, and they kept coming and coming. We must have caught close to 20 fish, I kid you not, the first day that he ever went, the first time Howard ever went fishing in his life. I told Howard, it's usually not this good. <laughs> and we caught so many. And I remember at first we were on one side of the rock, but it, we weren't really doing much and then we went to the other side of the rock and I just was reminded of that story when Jesus told them, cast on the other side. You know, maybe sometimes we're fishing in the wrong pool. Concerning fishers of men, when we seek to bring some to the Lord, I would encourage us, pray and ask God to send you the easy ones. Send those who are ready to get plucked up. Those who are just ready to to accept and believe. And maybe he'll graduate you to the hard ones. (laughs) But be open for what the Lord wants to do in your life, how he wants to use you. Again, we can't outgive God. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, there is one way that you can test the Lord and no other. But God says this, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Isn't that true in what we just read? As they were not able to take on all the fish that the Lord had brought them, They had to call for the other boats for help. In verse 8, back in Luke, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, Peter here is humbled. Peter realizes his lack of faith when seeing the truth of who Jesus is. He realizes the king of kings is there now beside him. 
and Peter himself is far from the goodness and the power of God. He's having that Isaiah moment when Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne and he falls down and says, woe is me for I am undone. You see, when we are met with the presence of God, we realize our frailty, our human depravity. So God has to break us. And then like Isaiah, build us back up. He purges the sin out of Isaiah's life. He brings a hot coal and touches his lips with it in this vision that Isaiah has. And then a voice calls out to send someone. And Isaiah stands up and says, here I am, send me. Who will go? Here I am, send me. May that be our heart and our mind to be obedient to the Lord saying, here I am, Lord. In verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You see, he's telling them not to be afraid because they just witnessed this awesome miracle and they realize they're in the presence there of the Messiah. And Jesus tells them not to be afraid of the task at hand. I'm calling you to. Jesus is saying, don't look at your sinful state as something you on your own must fix. But realize that Jesus has the ability to cleanse you of sin, to free you from its grips and use you in his ministry. You see, there must be that work of God in your own personal life. To have thousands whom a person teaches, yet in their own personal life, Jesus isn't working? It's hypocrisy. But Peter's ministry would be to catch men. So we need to have that working of God in our own personal lives. As Jesus is telling him, look, you're going to be now a fisher of men. Later on, as we studied in the book of Acts, Peter is going to preach in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit falls on the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 41, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. You see, Peter's preaching, he had a big net as he spoke the word of God and caught all these men and women. 3,000 added to the church. 
as Peter taught and preached. That same power still lives within us. And the awesome thing about the disciples is that the Pharisees looked at them and thought, where do these men get their wisdom and knowledge from? These are not trained men. They didn't go to seminary. Where did they get this knowledge from? But they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with him. Look at verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. As I read this verse, I'm reminded of that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I've decided to follow Jesus. You guys remember that hymn? The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. This is forsaking all and going toward our God. You see, our walk with Jesus, it grows. The disciples had already followed Jesus' teaching and considered him their master already. But now they are fully and completely abandoning all this life had to offer them so that they can follow Jesus. Now Jesus is the only one who can do that, who can call someone, who can simply walk by them and say, follow me. And then they just leave everything and follow after him. And the reason why he can do that is because he's Jesus, because he is the God man. Look at verse 12. It says, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this is a new part of this chapter where Luke as a physician is documenting something that happened in a health concern, a man with leprosy. Now leprosy still exists today. We call it Hansen's disease. I looked it up on the CDC's website. It's an infectious disease caused by slow-growing bacteria. And it can affect the nerves, the skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. With early diagnosis and treatment, the disease can be cured. While antibiotics can cure the disease and prevent it from getting worse, it does not reverse the nerve damage or physical disfiguration that may have occurred before the diagnosis. Now, with leprosy, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 13 and 14, there was a very systematic and complex law given through Moses concerning lepers. And they were ceremonially unclean and had to be quarantined and placed into isolation and unable to be involved in temple ceremony. And there was also a law concerning the process of bringing a leper back into temple worship. And that once they were healed of their leprosy, they had to stay outside their tents for seven days and then be bathed ceremonially. So this man after the pain and trial upon his physical 
and emotional state. He falls at Jesus' feet and asks him, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. See, first calling him Lord, he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus calls the shots in his life. And he's now asking him, please, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Now to even touch a leper in that time would make someone ceremonially unclean. So lepers were exiled from their community. But what do we see Jesus doing here in this next verse? Look at verse 13. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. Now Jesus taking on the disease by touching this man, the disease of the world, he's now leaving the man clean. That's what Jesus does in our hearts and our life. He bears the judgment that was to be for us upon himself. And he takes that sin away from us. And he casts it, it says, as far as the east is from the west. Now, what's awesome about that is you could always go east and you will still continue to travel east as you go around the world. If you were to travel north and south, as you're going north and continuing on that line, eventually you'll end up starting to go south. But you can continue to go around the entire world east the entire time, never going west. So Jesus, casting your sin away from you as far as the east is from the west, meaning your sin does not, once God forgives you, come back to you. So now Jesus taking on that disease and healing this man in verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to them, to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Jesus command, as Moses commanded. So notice here, Jesus is still following the Mosaic law given by Moses for the man because Jesus had not yet resurrected. Once Jesus resurrects, there's going to be certain ceremonial laws that they don't have to follow. Now, perhaps you've ever wondered, how come we don't follow all the Old Testament laws? How do we determine then what we are to follow as Christians? Well, because Jesus came, died, resurrected, he gave us the new covenant. So we as believers, as Christians, don't have to follow all the ceremonial regulations that the Mosaic law had. There are still moral laws that we follow, but we follow the teaching of Jesus, his disciples, the apostles. So this is what we continue in. We don't have to have animal sacrifice anymore that was given in the old ceremonial law because Jesus is our sacrifice. So we live on the new covenant. So that's why I don't get all hung up on 
tattoos on a person. If God's given me a conviction about tattoos on myself, what's that to you? I don't want to stumble anyone in my convictions. But I follow what Jesus has taught, his teaching, what his disciples like and apostles like Paul taught, not to stumble the weaker brother. So now Jesus is telling this leper to go present himself to the priest. And then in verse, in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and the multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew until the wilderness and prayed. See now, by telling this leopard to go back to the temple to show himself to the priest, he first told him, look, don't tell anybody that I healed you. And the reason was not to hide the miracle, but he wanted this guy to be able to go to the temple to be considered ceremonially clean now by the priest without them knowing it was about Jesus because if the priest heard, oh, Jesus healed me, the Pharisees might have turned against that man. But nonetheless, when he would tell people not to say anything, words still got around about the miracle and more and more people would find out of the miracles of Jesus. But all the reports, they brought the crowds so that Jesus often had to withdraw into the wilderness and pray. With the power that was flowing through Jesus and into other people's lives, there would be times where he would feel physically weak and he would need to get alone to go to the wilderness to pray. An exhortation to us that if Jesus 100% God, 100% man, often got alone to pray. How much more so us who are just simple human beings? So find that place of isolation for yourself where you can just focus on, on the Lord. Maybe it's in a car ride to work. Maybe it's on a hike around where you live. Maybe it's on an ocean or up in the mountains. But getting away into the, that wilderness place where you can pray and get alone with the Lord. To seek for His will to be done in your life. You can do a lot of good without God. And it's dangerous to do so. You can do a lot of bad without God. Also dangerous. But that's why we must bring everything before Him. Our plans so that we might seek what he truly desires in our life. In verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So now Jesus is there before Pharisees and before some crowd in this house. And the power of the Lord is present to heal, it says. And these four friends, they come bringing their friend who's paralyzed. Notice the state of this man. A paralytic. So weakened without power that he is unable to bring himself to see Jesus because there's no strength in his limbs. Recognize the love that his friends had for him. This is how we should be striving to bring those to the Lord. It takes four guys to get one over there to see Jesus. Now, do you know how distracting that it probably would have been as Jesus was teaching for the roof to begin to come apart? And sometimes I wonder, man, if Jesus can do it, so can I. (laughs) As the roof is coming apart, do you think Jesus was angry and upset that they were bringing him this man? Do you think he was like, stop, close it up, I'm teaching. Send him away. Or did he realize what was more important in the moment? The state of this man. It says in verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's a powerful statement for this man. You see, in Matthew's gospel, who also documents this record, he records that Jesus told him, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. See, it's likely that this man, that his paralysis was due to sin in his life. You see, they had all types of sexually transmitted diseases in their day that were incurable. And this paralysis may have been from one of those sins in his life that he probably looked back on and regretted. Perhaps we've had those moments in our life where we have been causing ourselves so much pain and long-suffering and pain from a moment of error in our life. And we could beat ourselves up about it. That's why Jesus came. To heal us from that. To heal us from that condemnation. Now there are sicknesses, mind you, that are in this world not due to a sin in our life, but because we just simply live in a fallen world. I remember in the Bible when it talks about the blind man whom Jesus healed and his disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, for whose sins was this man born blind? His parents or his own? 
And Jesus says it was not for sins that he was born blind, but that the power of God may be revealed. So we can't chalk up all sins immediately as a result of a sin in a person's life. I'm reminded of the man, perhaps you've heard of him, living today, Nick Wojcicz, who was born without arms or legs. And how God uses this man, who, by the way, is married and with a child, by the way, but he uses this man as a testimony to the joy that God can use in a person's life, can bring into a man's life who is without limbs. The glory of God. Now I wonder, as Jesus tells this man, man, your sins are forgiven you. I wonder if his friends who brought him were like, wait, wait, wait. We, we brought him so we could, he could get healed. Like, is, is that it? Like, Wait, and Jesus is dealing with the more important thing right now at the moment. Not that that was always the method. Sometimes Jesus would heal a person before they received fully. Then look at verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the question now they're asking, who is Jesus? Now they were incorrect in thinking that he was speaking blasphemy. But they were correct in understanding that God alone forgives sins. See, we can sin against our neighbor and their forgiveness may help our relationship with them, with the person, but God alone can forgive the sins we commit in regards to our salvation and relationship with Christ. In verse 22, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk? Now Jesus in his deity, because he is the God-man, he can know their thoughts that these Pharisees were thinking. And he could perceive that they were thinking, who can forgive sins but God? So he asked them this question to challenge their thinking. See, if a person comes here in a wheelchair and I tell them, your sins are forgiven you, you might believe it, right? But if I tell them, get up and walk to me. What is a harder thing to prove? That someone's sins are forgiven or that they need to stand up and walk? The latter. Because it requires now evidence that that person needs to get up and walk towards me. So telling someone to get up and walk out of their state of paralysis is a harder statement to make. Now at this point, In verse 24, it says, Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. 
Jesus here is showing the God, he's showing that he is the God-man, to be equal with God. You see, they were right in thinking that only God can forgive sins. So if only God can forgive sins, all right, this is a math equation. Only God can forgive sins. And then we have another statement. Jesus can forgive sins. Doesn't that make Jesus equal to God? Yes, it does. Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is God. Now, at this point, the paralyzed man, he had a decision to make. Knowing his state of weakness and sickness, he could have debated in, in his mind. But Jesus, I'm, I'm paralyzed. My legs are, are without filling. My muscles and my skin are without strength. I, I can't walk. He could have done that, as we often do, of giving God all the reasons why we can't get up and follow after him. But in verse 25, we read, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. You see, that's the opposite action. That's obedience, an action of obedience. If God is calling you to something, he will provide. This is the, the lesson that I've been taught that we should all have ingrained in our hearts and in our minds that where God guides, God provides. And we have to live that out. If God isn't providing for something that you are trying so hard to, to make happen, then maybe that's not where he's guiding. In verse 26, And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. See, in the fear of the Lord, there is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it draws us to God and not away from him. Our fear is not one of torment, but of adoration. And as I look at these things of seeing how God is just telling him, get up and walk, he's going to provide for you. This past week, Lisa and myself were meeting with a realtor and the awesome thing is this guy's a Christian and he said this verse in our meeting with him. He said, look, Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And I realized that that's the truth. You put God first. That all the things that we're worrying about, he's going to take care of it. That we don't need to add more worry to our day. Because worrying doesn't help. But God has a beautiful plan for your life. And may you simply walk in that. Now, I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more verses, but I, I think I, I want to save finishing the end of this for next week. So let's see what, what the Lord does right now. 
It says in verse 27, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now in their time, the tax collectors, they were employed by Rome. So Jews already saw tax collectors as traitors to their nation. On top of this, they could collect more taxes than was required by Rome, and whatever they took extra was sanctioned by the Roman government. They could find all types of rules that people needed to be taxed on, and they got to pocket that money as long as they made what was due to the Roman government. So the Jews hated these tax collectors. And these tax collectors, as the Romans would pick them, would also be Jews. And here we see Jesus coming to a tax collector, saying, follow me. And the only reason that Matthew left all and followed after him was because it was Jesus. Because Jesus had the power to do this. You see, Jesus wasn't calling him, look, come and follow me for success. Come on a religious pursuit with me. Come on a, a means of gain. But Jesus simply called Matthew, follow me. Simply because he was God and because Jesus deserved Matthew's life. The same way that Jesus deserves your life. Jesus doesn't need to give you success, beautiful relationships and ministries, and he doesn't need to give you wealth and all these things. Jesus deserves you regardless. But when you follow him, when you give up your life and follow after him, he gives you a new life. In verse 29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, this is the new way of ministry that Jesus is bringing into their life. To go to the sinners. What's interesting is that Matthew, being a tax collector, is going to be paired up with Peter, who was a zealot, meaning that he hated those who were traitors to Israel. So when you get Peter the zealot right there next to Matthew, the only thing keeping them together was the Holy Spirit, was Jesus in their life. Let's finish. Look at verse 33. Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees but yours eat and drink and he said to them can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them then they will fast in those days 
So in their culture, they would have weddings that were two-week-long celebrations. And the first week, everyone gathered together, and they had the marriage ceremony right in the middle of that. And then finally, once the marriage took place, the marriage was consummated, then the second week, the party would continue with all the friends there, and they lived a rough life. So this was like their two-week way to just celebrate and have a good time. And Jesus used this as an example. He's speaking to them in a parable. He's saying, look, there's going to come a time when the groom, who is Jesus, is going to be taken away from the people. And that is when the disciples will fast. Look at verse 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new one makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. You see, they didn't have pre-strung cloth. So if they try to put a patch, a new patch on old clothes, if they wash those clothes, the patch would cause the old clothes to stretch And tear. And then in verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And that same principle, wine, the fermentation of it, would cause a wineskin to become stiff. And if it was going to be used again, a new wine going into that old widened skin would cause that wine skin to burst because it was stiff already. In verse 39, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Now this is the main point of all these three parables that Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees. He's saying, look, the Old Testament methods that you guys try to follow so strictly are now being done away with. That we have to restructure our relationship that we have with God for this new covenant that I am bringing in. And he knew that the Pharisees We're going to think, no, no, the old way is better. The old Mosaic law. But Jesus was correct in saying that, look, I am bringing the life, the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. An era of grace. He's saying, look, what does it matter if this man is a leper? I'm going to touch him. What does it matter if this man is a tax collector? I'm calling him to myself. What does it matter if the old occupation of fishing works or doesn't work? I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. You see, God is doing a new work now, and Jesus is being used as that instrument, that vessel to bring in the new work. And God wants to do a new work in your life.
He wants you to put away the old works of the flesh, the old way of trying to relate to God through works. But Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. One where you are seeking him constantly for his truth, for guidance. One where you are just obedient to him because he deserves your life. So I encourage us to get away, to find that place of wilderness where we can just experience God, to pray to him, to seek his will, that you might be filled with the spirit, that you might be used to bring others to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. Lord, I pray and I ask that you, as you, you would use us as instruments, as vessels for your kingdom. Help us not to get caught up, Lord God, in a workspace relationship. Help us to bring others to Christ. I pray and I ask, Lord, that you would give us faith to get up and walk in the call that you've placed before us. Free us from sin and from, Lord God, the, the troubles of this world. I pray, Father, for those who are sick. Would you heal them? I pray, Father, for those who their hearts, Father, need to be healed. Would you soften their hearts, Lord God, and make them strong? Father, we love you. I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around your church. May we devote ourselves fully and completely to you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. If you would like to receive prayer today after uh, this last worship song, please feel free to, to seek that out amongst one another, amongst myself. Next Sunday, we'll be having a communion here. And uh, pretty soon, too, we're going to be doing a, a few interesting uh, events in regards to Easter coming up. So I encourage you guys to be in prayer, to reach out to one another, to pray for one another. But let's just thank God for what he's done in our life. sin alone and hopeless a child of wrath I walked condemned in darkness Ooh. 
touch your mercy, brought new life. And in your loving kindness, raised me up with Christ and made me righteous. You have bought me back with the riches of your amazing grace and relentless love. I made a life forever with your life forever by your grace. I'm saved. By your grace I'm saved My sin has been erased Whoa. I'll never be the same Yeah My sin has been erased Whoa. I'll never be the same Whoa. Wednesday night on the, the, the tube.